0: In the following recording, I will read Canto One of Dante's Inferno, translated by Mark Musa. Then I'll offer some commentary. Midway along the journey of our life, I woke to find myself in some dark woods, for I had wandered off from the straight path. How hard it is to tell what it was like, this wood of wilderness, Savage and stubborn, the thought of it brings back all my old fears. A bitter place. Death could scarce be bitterer. But if I would show the good that came of it, I must talk about things other than the good. How I entered there, I cannot truly say. I had become so sleepy at the moment, when I first strayed, leaving the path of truth. But when I found myself at the foot of a hill at the edge of the woods beginning down in the valley when I first felt my heart plunged deep in fear. I raised my head and saw the hilltop shawled in morning rays of light sent from the planet that leads men straight ahead on every road. And then only did terror start subsiding in my heart's lake, which rose to heights of fear that night I spent in deepest desperation. Just as a swimmer, still with panting breath, now safe upon the shore, out of the deep, might look for one last look at that dangerous waters, so I, although my mind was turned to flee, turned round to gaze once more upon the past that never let a living soul escape. I rested my tired body there a while, and then began to climb the barren slope. I dragged my stronger foot and limped along. Beyond the point, the slope begins to rise, sprang up, a leopard, trim and very swift. It was covered by a pelt of many spots, and everywhere I looked the beast was there, blocking my way. So time and time again I was about to turn and go back down. The hour was early in the morning then. The sun was climbing up with those same stars that had accompanied it on the world's first day. The day divine love set their beauty turning. So the hour and sweet season of creation encouraged me to think I could get past that gaudy beast, wild in its spotted pelt. But then good hope gave way, and fear returned, when the figure of a lion loomed up before me. And he was coming straight towards me, it seemed, with head raised high and furious with hunger. The air around him seemed to fear his presence. And now a she-wolf came, that in her leanness seemed racked with every kind of greediness. How many people she has brought to grief! This last beast brought my spirit down so low with fear that seized me at the sight of her. I lost all hope of going up the hill. As a man who, rejoicing in his gains, suddenly seeing his gains turn into loss, will grieve as he compares his then and now, so she made me do that relentless beast. Coming towards me, slowly, step by step, she forced me back to where the sun is mute. While I was rushing down to that low place, My eyes made a figure coming towards me, of one grown weak, perhaps from too much silence. And when I saw him standing in this wasteland, Have pity on my soul, I cried to him, whichever you are, shade or living man. No longer living man, though, once I was, he said, and my parents were from Lombardy. Both of them were Madawans by birth. I was born, though somewhat late, sub Julio, and lived in Rome when good Augustus reigned, when still the false and lying gods were worshipped. I was a poet, and sang of that man, son of Anchises, who sailed off from Troy after the burning of proud Ilium. But why retreat to so much misery? Why aren't you climbing up this joyful mountain, the beginning and the source of all men's bliss? Are you then Virgil? Are you then the fount from which pours forth so rich a stream of words? I said to him, bowing my head modestly. O light and honour of the other poets, may my long years of study and that deep love that made me search your verses help me now. You are my teacher, the first of all my authors, and you alone the one from whom I took the beautiful style that was to bring me honour. You see the beast that forced me to retreat. Save me from her, I beg you, famous sage she makes me tremble, the blood throbs in my veins. But your journey must be down another road, he answered when he saw me lost in tears, if ever you hope to leave this wilderness. This beast, the one you cry about in fear, allows no soul to succeed along her path. She blocks his way and puts an end to him. She is by nature so perverse and vicious, her craving belly is never satisfied, still hungering for food the more she eats. She mates with many creatures, and will go on mating with more, until the greyhound comes and tracks her down to make her die in anguish. He will not feed on either land or money. His wisdom, love, and virtue shall sustain him. He will be born between Feltro and Feltro. He comes to save that fallen Italy, for which the maid Camilla gave her life, and Turnus, Nisus, Euralus died of wounds and he will hunt for her through every city, until he drives her back to hell once more, whence envy first released unleashed her on mankind. And so I think it best you follow me for your own good, and I shall be your guide, and lead you out through an eternal place, where you will hear desperate cries, and see tormented shades some old as hell itself, and know what second death is from their screams." And later you will see those who rejoice while they are burning, for they have hope of coming, whenever it may be, to join the blessed. To whom, if you too wish to make the climb, a spirit worthier than I must take you. I shall go back, leaving you in her care, because that emperor dwelling on high will not let me lead, lead any to his city, since I in life rebelled against his law. Everywhere he reigns, and there he rules. There is his city, there is his high throne. O happy the one who makes his citizen. O happy the one he makes his citizen. And I said to him, Poet, I beg of you, in the name of God, that God who never knew, you never knew, save me from this place, this evil place and worse, lead me there to the place you spoke about, that I may see the gate St. Peter guard's, and those whose anguish you have told me of. Then he moved on, and I moved close behind him. So the commentary that I will be offering after reading the canto will uh, follow the passage by Dante in order. It's the easiest way to offer a commentary and, um, and it allows the canto itself to organize itself. So this may be one of the easier cantos to do that with. But as uh, as the course continues, you'll see a, a great accumulation of the comments I've I've made on the com- uh, during the individual commentaries. So um, uh, there was a writer who once said that there are two kinds of Dante cantos. There are the kinds that are kind of self sufficient in themselves, and there are others that lead to others. Um, that distinction is is um, is is quite incorrect, and and um, I wish it were true uh, because it would make it easier. But it's it's just the case that um, one of the challenges of of Dante is that the, the cantos uh, do connect to one another, um, despite the fact that we can take individual sort of highlights of the Inferno and the Purgatory and the Paradise and talk about them in and of themselves, but they, they do connect one to the other. So for example, obviously in a narrative sense, they connect, um, he's telling a story, that story will continue in the, in the second canto all the way to the 34th here in the Inferno. But there'll also be cantos in the Inferno that'll parallel cantos in the other two books. And so um, our understanding of, of those moments later on in Dante's journey will depend on our memory Of these earlier cantos so yeah I really wish (laughs) I really wish it was easy to just simply say well we can take each canto on their own like individual lyrical poems but we can't however having said that canto one does lend itself to a kind of individual study first of all because it is the first of the 34 cantos and then secondly not to make too big of a deal of this it is unique there are 100 cantos in the entire divine comedy and uh, there are uh, 33 in the purgatory and the paradise and there are 34 in the inferno and this is the one that stands sort of outside the 33. so there are, there's a unique quality to this first canto and if you're a first time or really even a second time reader y- you may not see the uniqueness of it. it it takes some time but you realize when you look back oh canto one was actually different than many of the other cantos okay so I just start with that kind of preamble Um, and let's let's take a look at the first few lines together here Um, there are as I said this is this is Musa's translation um, and I prefer at least for these recordings to read Musa I find Musa to be to have a nice um, uh, compromise between uh, exactness and poetry. Um, I also find his word choice um, in, in, in this canto in particular quite, quite, um, quite appropriate. Um, so for example, if you take a look at the Mandelbaum uh, or the Hollander translation, um, so for example, here's the, here's the Hollander translation, of the of the of the first couple lines he writes midway in the journey of our life i came to myself in a dark wood for the straight way was lost ah how hard it is to tell the very nature of that wood savage dense and harsh the very thought of it renews my fear that's pretty good you go over to the mandelbaum you get when i had journeyed half of our lives way and found myself within a shadowed forest for i had not for i had lost the path that does not stray Ah, uh, it is it is hard to speak of what it was, that savage forest dense and difficult, which even in recall renews my fear. So really, even as I read these three translations uh aloud, you know, there's so much to commend for each one of them that, you know. But what I appreciate about muses is this first of all, the midway along the journey of my life, which which Hollander also gets. This midway, uh, this, this indication in the very first line that we are in the middle, in the middle of Dante's life, but also an uh, epic trope, now an, uh, an epic trope of in media res. So the epic trope for, if you've read Homer, if you've read Virgil, if you've read those epics, you realize that, uh, that Dante is recalling and echoing this idea that you start in the middle of a story you don't start really at the beginning so much you start in the middle and just thrust the reader right into things so both the musa translation and the hollander translation sort of capture that right with the word midway whereas um whereas uh, mandel is more of a dependent uh, time the other uh musa choice that i really like is uh is the is the is the framing of the dark wood versus shadowed forest and and of course hollander has it as well and um shadowed forest just sounds a little awkward to me uh but dark wood brings brings us into this place um of uh for for lack of a better word of kind of ambiguity as to where exactly dante is and i like that um I can say more about the different translations, but my hope in discussions is that you too will bring in your versions and be able to point to those as well. Um, so, if you look at the first few lines, um, we what we're getting here is Dante's um, mix of both his personal uh, life, but also a universality of of our lives, right? So. He says, midway along the journey of our life, I woke myself. Uh, I woke to find myself in a dark wood. So, he is both universal, making it universal that this is uh, something that you know we all can experience—an everyman poem—but also that it's deeply personal. And this is extraordinary, I think, of Dante. He's he's a deeply personal poet, um, and, uh, and 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 m- and many readers are surprised. They've, every fr- first-time readers are surprised that it's that this medieval poet is so personal that's um, and um, uh, one of the uh, one of the texts I think that really help in understanding Dante believe it or not is uh, Augustine's confessions maybe more so than Homer or Virgil or reading poetry the St. Augustine's confessions have a very similar flavor to the journey motif. And we'll see later in this passage where he compares himself to a shipwreck, a shipwrecked sailor, uh, which is a direct reference, I believe, to Augustine's confessions um, and to the idea of being shipwrecked uh, 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 as a pilgrim. So uh, midway along the journey of our life, I woke to find myself in a dark wood for I had wandered off from a straight path. So this idea of waking up, waking up in the midst of of one's life. There's other translations. um, They're all different from the ones, the three that I, the three major ones I use. uh, Hollander's is, I came to myself, and Mandelbaum's is, I found myself. Um, So they all have the quality of sort of an awakening, like a personal epiphany. Something happened, but I really like Muses here because there's a dreamlike quality to this first canto with almost like a lack of rules, a lack of structure and order in terms of what Dante is experiencing as a pilgrim. And there will be more dreaming uh, in the divine comedy, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's a real, that's a real goal of me. Myself right now is just like, don't get ahead. It's so easy to get ahead of yourself when you're reading Dante. So yeah, he wakes to find himself. So it has a dreamlike quality. And we, we see that we see that it's a memory right so it Dante is repeating a memory it's in the past tense I woke to find myself and then he goes on to say in the second in the second stanza how hard it is to tell what it was like this wood of wilderness savage and stubborn the thought of it bring back all my old fears a bitter place so there are there are two Dantes in in this canto and in the in all of the Divine Comedies, there's, the, there's Dante the Pilgrim, the one who is making this pilgrimage, the one in the past, and then there's Dante the Poet, who is currently telling the story of his pilgrimage. And so you even see here in the fifth and sixth line, this wood of wilderness, the thought of it brings back all my old fear. So even recalling it in his mind uh, makes him uh, afraid. So can I say something about fear here? Yeah. Canto One is dominated by fear it's dominated by the experience of fear and the italian word here he uses is para or p-a-u-r-a but it's meant it's mentioned several times it shows up maybe four or five times just in this first canto so there's fear there's tremendous fear and that should focus us on um on the emotion that dante experiences as a pilgrim and also thinking about the way in which emotions play, uh, that feelings and affect play a role in his, uh, his conversion, uh, throughout, throughout the poem. So there's tremendous fear that he feels, um, in this moment where he wakes up to himself, um, in the midst of this, of this dark wood. We think, uh, I looked at just thinking about this lecture but also thinking about my many times of reading this you know think about the forest or the dark wood as being this um this this uh uncivilized area and uh you have to remember that that's that's very much what it is it's uncivilized it's unmarked it's unknown it's dark it's we tend to think of woods and forests in a more romantic way now With how wonderful this is but you know consider consider Dante as an urban person as a person who um, who was civilized in the sense he was a politician um, and most of his life if not all of it was spent in big cities um, and so you know this idea of a forest itself is 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 um, it intensifies the kind of fear here uh, that he's discussing he doesn't really know where he is um, and whatever path he was following it's certainly not, uh the right one he even goes on to say this in the 10th right i how i entered there i cannot truly say he doesn't even know he doesn't even know how he got there um and he so that's it emphasizes this awakening uh to himself um uh, another translation i cannot clearly say how i entered the wood that's not so great but um how i can't this is the hollander how i came there i cannot really tell I was so full of sleep when I forsook the one true way. So uh, Hollander emphasizes this idea of sleep and dreaming here with this uh, with his translation. So man waking from sleep, okay A man waking from sleep suddenly uh, uh, thrust in to uh, to a very dark place uh, where he is um, where he is scared, deeply scared uh, for his life. Um, great start, great beginning. And let's not overlook some of the real simple stuff here. We mentioned already the woods and the forest. It's pretty basic. But I think the other simple and yet powerful um, uh, way in which Dante frames his first canto is to say that, um, is to organize it uh, through the the, um, organizing principle of the pilgrimage or the journey. We think of life as a journey. It's a cliche. It's a, it's one of those uh, metaphors that control our, our 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 thinking in a sense. It, and um, and so it, it's so basic and so uh, known that we're apt to forget it. So, but don't forget it because it it really does make such a big difference if you remember. This is a journey that Dante is explaining, and the word journey, of course, can also be replaced with the word pilgrimage course, the Christian way or the Christian narrative is often placed in, uh, in the organizing principle of a, of, a, of a journey, right? Our journey to, to God. And so in many, many ways, this will be um, the frame for the entirety of uh, of the Divine Comedy. And here, the journeying is, okay, I was sort of going along in life. I was sort of Going from one thing to the next, but I I, I really lost. He says, uh, the 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 path of truth or the one true way, the true path. Um, uh, yeah, in in all three in all three translations here, I'm seeing it's all the one one way. And Dante is also somewhat apologetic here to concentrate on what could be conceived because it could be understand as negative, right, or dark, or right, or the bad or the evil. He basically says, well, if I'm going to talk about the good, I've got to gotta first talk about um uh, things uh, <laughs> like the train i must talk about things other than the good right i must talk about the darkness i must talk about hell basically hell I've gotta i've gotta talk about hell and when he meets virgil which is in the next few uh, stanzas he, he will be taught that as well right so for him to re- return to the true path for him to even ascend the mount of purgatory he, he needs to first go um go down. There is a brief pause in his fear, he says. Um, in this passage, he'll say that um, when he finds himself at the foot of a hill, when he finds himself this is purgatory, by the way. Um, he doesn't call it purgatory, but this is what this is. When he finds himself at the foot of purgatory, he his um, his heart that was plunged in fear, it sort of relieves itself somewhat. And here is the the um, uh, in in very indirect allusion more like an echo to to saint augustine um and to um and to aeneas which is to say that he's the he's the he's the he's the man who was washed up on the shore paul i mean yeah. just a whole a whole history of the echoes of being a shipwrecked sailor and he finds himself in that moment okay he's not, not as afraid, He, he's a shipwrecked sailor, he says, and then only did terror start subsiding in my heart's lake, which rose to heights of fear the night I spent in deepest desperation, just as a swimmer, still with panting breath, now safe upon the shore out of the deep, might turn for one last look at the dangerous waters. So I, although my mind was turned to flee, turned round to gaze once more upon the past that never let a living soul escape. So, this is a. For those of you again who know Homer and Virgil, you you understand the convention of the epic simile, comparing two things together. And Dante will do this throughout the entire Divine Comedy. Here's his first: um, Just as X, so too Y. So, just as he was a swimmer who washed up upon the shore, so he looks back. Um, Upon the past or upon the danger that he just overcame. Um, however, even after he rests for a while, he recognizes that he may not climb the hill, he may not climb the mountain, and this is where the three beasts come into uh, the picture. So here we get our first uh, big interpretive uh, entanglement and these three beasts, the uh, the what are the three beasts? The leopard, the she-wolf, uh, and the lion. Uh, those have been m- interpreted over uh, a long period of time in multiple ways. And this is a... I, I, I prefer Musa, but this is where the Hollander translation and the, uh, and the book that Hollander had published with his wife. And by the way, Hollander died within the uh, last year. Um, he was a Dante scholar, and... Um, this is where the notes that he offers in his translation are really, really good. And I'm sort of, many of my commentaries will be from that and having taught that um, and having scribbled in my own margins, you know, things that I've said, but also students have said as well. Um, so the, the, there are three ways in which those three uh, creatures have been interpreted over time. The first one, uh, Hollander notes, is that these, um, that these three beasts have been interpreted as a three of the seven mortal sins, lust pride and avarice um the second way those beasts have been uh, translated are have been as um envy pride and avarice and the third uh, way in which they've been interpreted as the three dispositions heaven opposes incontinence malice and mad brutishness uh, i just pause the recording to go back and refamiliarize myself with some of the controversies and to recall what it was that i believed um and I'll tell you what I what I think about this passage and what the three beasts represent. Um, and it's open to criticism, of course, because it doesn't imperfectly line up. But I really do think uh, that the uh, the animals here, you know, it starts with the leopard, then the lion, and then the she wolf. Um, this is Dante's approach to to hell itself, which um, if you were to reverse hell. And we'll discuss this more in future lectures on the cantos. Um, the, we, we might say the deepest circle of hell is about uh, fraud and um, betrayal. Um, and, the, and the leopard represents the deepest form of hell the, uh, and, and the sins of, of fraud. The second, the lion, represents violence. And the third, the she-wolf, represents um, incontinence, or in this particular case, lust. Now, th- that interpretation, I think, is the most satisfying because what it does is it, it 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 basically says, of all the deadly sins, all the seven mortal deadly sins, Dante is being kept from uh, going up the hill, going up into purgatory. And the reason why these are the lion goes well with the violence the way the lion is the leopard goes well with this with with the spots and the everywhere and the uh, actually it's not everywhere it's a it, but the but the first of the beasts it's the everywhere is the she-wolf who follows Dante everywhere and that is more personal for Dante uh, in the, in in struggling with the sin of lust so Dante struggles most with lust now the she-wolf is often in a, a more of a this, the interpretation, the typological interpretations and the symbolism of the she-wolf is often associated with um, avarice or you know greed um, for riches and wealth and so forth. And so you, you have the symbol that I believe stands for lust, and yet in many contexts uh, represents um, avarice, represents wealth. Dante struggles most with lust. I think that's rather clear. point that is clearly made throughout the whole inferno and it would make sense for lust to also be the sin that undoes undoes so many which Dante will make a later point is that the sins of lust uh, the sins of gluttony the sins of these sins are the ones that are most widespread and that most uh, most people commit as mortal sins finding themselves in hell it's also the one that Dante struggles with um, whereas uh, violence and fraud, which are, in according to Dante, worse, um, fewer suffer from the worst sins, and many suffer from the least of sins. Now remember, these are all sins, and these are all mortal sins that would keep someone out of heaven, and certainly they would not be allowed to climb the hill of purgatory with any of these sins on their conscience. So the point I'm making here is that these three beasts— Represent, I believe, these three different, um, these these de- these three different uh, sections of of hell that we'll talk more about later, and it is the she-wolf that most haunts uh, Dante because she is everywhere. Also, note um, that in the his his um, his experience with the lion, he writes. Um. But then good hope gave way, and fear returned when the figure of the lion loomed up before me. So fear and hope are associated together, and that's an important, um, that's an important formulation, that, that when there's hope, there's no fear, and when there's fear, there's no hope. And I've subtitled the, these lectures, "The Dante, the Poet of Hope. And the element of hope is so important to the entire uh, poem. Um, and even the psychology of 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 losing hope. Is, Dante is just so good at drawing this up. Here in this passage, you know, line 55, when he says, As a man who rejoicing in his gain, suddenly seeing his gain turn into loss, will grieve as he compares his then and now, so she made me do that relentless beast, that she-wolf that he talks about, uh, the she-wolf that brought so many... To grief, uh, the one I'm associating with, with lost, and I just think of our modern, contemporary world in which um, so many people seem to be um, lost and without hope, and then uh, getting a little bit of hope here and there in earthly things, it's uh, those things are suddenly snatched away, and you have this fear um, and grief. That that suddenly fills, um, suddenly fills the soul, um, and Dante's so good at representing this um, this experience uh, of our journey in life, when uh, our false hopes, uh, hopes that aren't built on anything substantial, uh, disappear. Now the hope that Dante has in this passage is Virgil, and um, th- th- uh, Dante sees uh, you know this shadow, this shade in the in the distance and he cries out "Have pity on my soul whether you are shade or living man of course shade is dead living man is living this will be a categorization that will carry through all the way um into the divine comedy into uh into hell and into purgatory um and virgil here virgil the poet um identifies himself one who was lived during the time of augustus who wrote the aeneid um and um and Dante recognizes him as Virgil he says um the the, you are my teacher the first of all my authors and you alone the one from whom I took the noble style that was to bring me honor so um so Dante sees Virgil and sort of casts himself at his feet and says save me um and uh and how, how, in, how wonderful this is that Dante uses a poet and a pagan poet uh, to lead him through hell. Um, what, a, what a choice this is for him. Um, and th- the choice of, of, of a pagan uh, to help correct Dante's will and to teach him uh, how to be strong before temptation is such, a, is such an interesting choice and will create um, some pathos as well, some sadness as well, as we see that Virgil... Will not be allowed to, uh, has not been allowed to enter into heaven, and also is not allowed to, um, to climb in, in, in purgatory. I, I see now as I reread this passage that of Virgil, who is telling Dante what he needs to do in order to continue on, I see also that when he references the she wolf, he says, uh, This beast, the one you cry about in fear, allows no soul to succeed along her path. She blocks his way and puts an end to him. And then later, still hungering for food, the more she eats. So, um, yes, this isn't a, a knock on uh, avarice as an interpretation, but certainly lust, um, as Dante understands it here in this poem, is a hunger that is never satisfied. Um, Virgil will will explain throughout these, throughout the end of Canto One, that the greyhound, uh, really Jesus Christ, af- uh, will come and put an end. Uh, to this creature's life and put an end to, and put an end to all suffering and sin. Before I conclude the commentary on Canto One, I want to r- return to a former comment that I made about um, Saint Augustine as being the influence on Dante here. <clears throat> and if you think about the prologue as the beginning of the Divine Comedy, it really is a failure for in the journey, right? It, uh, Dante fails to well, first he wakes up and he's scared and he fails to climb the mountain he 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 fails to 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 enter into um his suffering for his sins because he's we in, from a from a christian perspective we'll say he's a he's 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 got mortal sins on his soul he can't enter into purgatory without without suffering for those and being forgiven for those and so that kind of f- false start. Um, that Virgil helps him with, it says you've you know you've lost the road. You got to get on the right road, and the only way you can get there is from with my help, which is the correction of your will and reason. Um, is to, is 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 an echo of Augustine's Confessions, Book Seven, where Augustine himself says that he had he had made a he had sort of woken up to himself, he had understood but he didn't really understand, right? He, he knew the, the works of the Neoplatonists, and he knew that there was a world outside the world that he lived in that sort of shaped this one, but he didn't understand it. He didn't really truly experience it. And just reading from uh, a passage from St. Augustine um, that echoes in Dante and Dante in Augustine, he writes, this is seven, this is uh, book seven section, Um, section 20, he says, at that time after reading the books of the Platonists and learning from them to seek for immaterial truth, I turned my attention to your invisible nature, understood through the things which are made. But from the disappointment I suffered, I perceived that the darkness of my soul would not allow me to contemplate these sublimities. Yet I was certain that you were infinite without being infinitely diffused through finite space. I was sure that you truly are and always the same, that you never... That you never become other or different in any part? And then going down, of these conceptions I was certain, but to enjoy you I was too weak. I prattled on as if I was an expert, but unless I sought your way in Christ our Savior, I would have not uh, been expected, I would have not been expert, but expunged. I began to want to give myself airs as a wise person. I was full of my punishment, but I shed no tears of penance. Worse still, I was puffed up with knowledge. Where was the charity which builds on the foundation of humility, which is Jesus Christ? When would the Platonist books—what? When would the Platonist books have taught me that? I believe that you wanted me to encounter them before I came to study your Scriptures. Your intention was that the manner in which I was affected by them should be imprinted in my memory, so that I, when later I had been made docile by your books and my wounds were healed by your gentle fingers, I would learn to discern and distinguish the difference between presumption. And confession between those who see what the goal is, but not how to get there, and those who see the way which leads to the home of bliss, not merely as an end to be perceived, but as a realm to live in. And I can't think of any other passage prior to Dante, written by one of the church fathers, which best exemplifies what Dante is attempting to do dramatically here. He's attempting dramatically to portray a false start, but a false start that's necessary. It's necessary for him to get to the next step. And so just like Augustine, Dante may have known things. He may have been learned. He may have been experienced. But what he hadn't experienced is the true distinction or understanding of the distinction between presumption and confession. In many ways, the Divine Comedy is a confession, just as Augustine wrote a confession. And like Augustine, Dante places himself in it personally, right? And this personal placement of Dante here in the first canto is not about, you know, he's some unique individual that is showing you his unique way of coming about to salvation, that's true in a way, but that's not really what it's about. It's about a universal journey and pilgrimage we all must make. And the only way that Dante can dramatize this is by doing it through his own personal journey. This is why he'll say in the next canto, you know, I'm not Aeneas and I'm not St. Paul. I don't, how can I, how can I make this journey? Um, and Virgil says, you know, <laughs> come on, man up, let's go. And we'll see that next time. But um so Augustine, to me, and Augustine's Confessions, are kind of an er text or a pretext to Dante's, um, to Dante's Inferno. They're both uh, Christian. They're both deeply personal, but they are both filled with allusions to to Scripture, to to history, to the contemporary world. And if you think of these two texts sort of in conversation with one another, I think you'll you'll do you'll do quite well. Um, I'll I'll make more comments about the shipwreck part and how that also connects with Augustine later. Um, But for right now, if you see this as a journey, as a deeply personal journey, um, and uh, it's one that Dante must make for the salvation of his soul, you can also begin to see many of the universal themes as well. Well, I hope our conversation will be a fruitful one. Um, the, the purposes of these uh, discussions or these taped lectures is really to get you to be thinking about your own um, responses as you read along. So I look forward to having that discussion with you and from learning from you.